What is the digital economy? What does digital mean? Strategic How far can the digital economy go? Welcome to the Digital Week. My name is Marek Wolkowicz. I'm the professor and chair in digital economy at QUT. Uh, today with me is Dr. Paula Dutson. Hi, Paula. How are you? Hi, Marek. How are you? Um, excellent. Um, today, um, we're going to talk about trends that are going to shape 2019. Every year we get together as a team and discuss what have we learned, what have we seen in the past year. We call this uh, set of trends uh, as uh, hiding in plain sight. So we're talking about trends in business, technology and society that are already here, sometimes invisible, but definitely going to, uh, to shape the next 12 months. Uh, this year, we decided to talk about trends in uh, shaping the way we live, work and think. And in this particular uh, podcast, Paula and I are going to look more specifically into trends that shape the way we work. There are three trends uh, that are going to shape the way we work. Rise of the chatbots, working with algorithms and self-automation. Paula, let's talk about rise of the chatbots first. Do you remember that uh, time when we tried to use an artificial intelligence uh, chatbot to set up a meeting between ourselves? You know, Marek, it was probably about as successful as setting a meeting myself. To be honest, trying to find a hole in your calendar is very difficult, and Amy struggled just as much as, as I do. <laughs> so there was a, a site, uh, x.ai, and the, the bot's name was Amy, amy at x.ai. And the way it worked is we entered her into the conversation, and she was supposed to liaise with us and get us to meet at a time. Failed completely, didn't she? Yes, definitely. And we all thought you'd hired a new assistant without telling us, but... So it was believable that it was coming from potentially a human being, but the success rate was pretty low. So Amy is fired right now, but it's an, uh, it's an interesting case of uh, chatbots that are uh, basically becoming part of our lives. And, uh, and the interesting part is uh, when we talk about chatbots, we, we typically think about text chat, right? So type an answer here, read an answer there. Um, but, but really, chatbots do not have to be constrained to text, right? They could be voice bots as well. Um, you know the business called Do Not Pay? Yes, I have heard of them. They're like a bot for lawyers, perhaps? That's right. So we can sue everyone basically using this application. Uh, but one of, one of the bots that they, uh, they created is uh, uh, a bot that allows uh, customers in U.S., uh, to set up appointments with Department of Motor Vehicles, DMV. Um, and basically the way it works is once it sets up an appointment, it then calls DMV up to 1,000 times a day to try to find a better appointment time, up to 1,000 times a day. See, what's interesting about that is I think a lot of U.S. comedians get a lot of length out of the joke of how long the line is at the DMV, but well, what's going to happen with that now when it's, you know, how clogged the phone lines are or something? That's a, that's a very good one. That's, uh, so, so what is happening there is, uh, you know, thankfully, thankfully, uh, do not paste bot does not call a human at DMV, although, you know, sometimes I think the humans there would deserve that 1,000 calls a day. Uh, they call another bot. So there's an automated line at DMV, and you have this bot against a bot, up to 1,000 times a day, talking to each other about free appointments. So some people are, are familiar with the idea of robo-calls coming to you as a, as a person, as an individual citizen, but so you're saying this is now not just going to citizens, but it's going 
it's flipped it. So now citizens are putting it onto business. We can fight back. So I can send a robocall to my <laughs> robocall and get them to deal with each other. Without either of them knowing that they're talking to a bot. Yeah, obviously, because they're bots. Uh, so that's an, that's an interesting situation now, right? Now, and, and, and it's fun to talk about how we're going to punish DMV for you know, all, the, all the hard times, and especially you know, those who live in the US for all the hard time that they received. You know, I spent hours and hours at DMV myself. Uh, it's fun to talk about this one, but, uh, you know, but the interesting, the, the reality is there will be um, a situation when those bots will start calling humans. And if you're a restaurant or a hairdresser and you receive up to 1,000 calls a day from a bot trying to reschedule a meeting, that might be disruptive to your business. It would also be cool if competitors rang and tried to book up all of your tables and then no one shows up and then you have no business. So how do I kill all the restaurants around me? Just hire a few bots yeah. uh, and, and make them book, uh, book tables. So that clearly calls for... A different approach here. Perhaps every robot will have to identify uh, itself, right? But does it help, right? Does it help when it says a thousand times a day, hey, mom, hey, I'm a robot, right? It's still very disruptive. Yeah, and what's the incentive there for even needing to identify? I mean, can you imagine any reason why down the track the government would say, okay, every business now has to actually say whether or not they're speaking to a robot? That's right. Governments would have to um, have or introduce new legislation if this became a problem. I, we don't really see governments being very proactive in this space, but the moment um, they see that it's becoming a problem, uh, that'll be different. So we get asked on the computer all the time, you know, fill out this number or pick these pictures that have a street sign in it to prove that we're not a robot. So will this become capture on your phone? So CAPTCHA is that, uh, is that test? I believe so, right? Imagine, uh, imagine you know, calling someone and then they asking you, hey, you know, what's the weather today? Maybe that's a test of whether you're a human or a bot. Um, Google offers a service called Duplex on their phones, uh, which basically can make appointments for you. So what you're gonna hear is the Google Assistant actually calling a real salon to schedule the appointment for you. Let's listen. So happening off here. Hi, I'm calling to book a women's haircut for a client. Um, I'm looking for something on May 3rd. Sure, give me one second. Mm-hmm. Sure, what time are you looking for around? At 12 p.m. We do not have a 12 p.m. available. The closest we have to that is a 1.15. Do you have anything between 10 a.m. and uh, 12 p.m.? Depending on what service she would like, what service is she looking for? Just a woman's haircut for now. Okay, we have a 10 o'clock. 10 a.m. is fine. Okay, what's her first name? The first name is Lisa. Okay, perfect. So I will see Lisa at 10 o'clock on May 3rd. Okay, great. Thanks. Great. Have a great day. Bye. So we are entering this space where it's all at scale, right? This is not just indi you know, individual examples. Very soon, every individual might have a bot like this in their pockets, right? And, and so this is potentially becoming a concern for businesses at the moment. They need to start thinking how they're going to deal with this situation.
Well, it's very exciting. My beautician only recently moved to online booking, so it'd be good to see if they can take that next step in 2019. So they're working on, on resilience here as well. If the phone line goes down, they still have uh, they still have the system. Let's talk about the second of the of the three trends, uh, working with algorithms. So we had a chat before the podcast, Paul, and you mentioned that uh, fantastic uh, and, and absolutely impressive case of uh, doctors and algorithms teaming up or, or working hand in hand in detecting melanoma. Yeah, the NHS funded um, some melanoma research and they ran a test on a 100,000 images and found that AI was able to predict with 95% accuracy whether or not something was cancerous as opposed to 85, 87% accuracy um, by the dermatologist. So yes, AI is more accurate working by itself, but we know that working together, then they'll have an even more accurate um, diagnosis of whether it's any type of cancer, not just melanoma. So it's a bit like my vacuum cleaner, and maybe that's not the best example here, comparing a doctor to a vacuum cleaner. <laughs> uh, look, it takes my vacuum cleaner, uh, my automated vacuum cleaner, a few hours to, uh, to vacuum my house. But you know what? I don't care how long it takes because it does it uh, whenever it's, uh, it's convenient. And in the same way, if we're talking about AI that is 95% accurate in melanoma detection, um, what you can add to it is the multiplication of those algorithms. So a human can only analyze so many images uh, a minute or in, in one hour. But for an algorithm, it's really just a matter of adding more and more instances of an algorithm. So suddenly we're talking not only about higher accuracy, but also higher throughput. You could analyze millions of people. You could make those services available uh, to much higher numbers of, of clients, of patients. Yeah, but it also has the great benefit of reducing the need for surgery for a number of people that get unnecessary surgeries when it gets cut out and then you find out actually that wasn't cancerous. So it can remove the backlog from the health system as well, opening it up for other people to get services that they need. So when a human judge at, at a court teams up with an algorithm, um, and uh, there are multiple such algorithms, one of them uh, is an algorithm called Compass that is used in US. Uh, controversies about this algorithm aside, sometimes the algorithm cannot explain how it comes to a decision. Uh, but um, uh, when a human and an algorithm gets together, they can be more efficient. In this particular case, in the Compass case, in assessing the risk of reoffending by an individual, uh, but the outcome of it is it helps the uh, the court system uh, in US uh, remove the backlog of all the people who are waiting for a, a, a decision by a judge, so that uh, teaming up of humans with algorithms might actually be uh, pretty useful for the society. Yeah, so I guess the lesson here for businesses is to review their current business processes and look at, well, is there any way in this current process that we can actually work with an algorithm for some greater benefit and to look at use cases of where they're being used we've just mentioned two but if you just simply go online or stay in tune with what's going on in industries around you you can get a sense of how you could apply it in your business in 2019. What we know is that um, a lot of um, customer experience comes not only from the uh, you know effectiveness or efficiency of the of the processes applied within an organization but also from a human touch right so in, in health scenarios for instance it's very important to have a doctor that you can talk to it's not not only uh, important to have a 95% accuracy but you need to have someone who can understand your problem 
problem and sort of you know hold your hand while they're uh, uh, sharing the news with you. Uh, so we're not seeing that the human component going anywhere in this scenario. It is really uh, all about uh, teaming up. So what should organizations do? Review the processes. Uh, but there's uh, also the opportunity for new business models too, because now insurance companies can sell insurance to algorithms to look after them. So for example, if an algorithm is going to misdiagnose something, well, if that was a doctor, then they've got insurance to cover that. But what's going to happen with the algorithm? If you're in your case of the legal system, if they're going to make a, a wrong judgment, I mean, we have the Innocence Project or something to look at you know, wrong judgments by people in the criminal justice system, but what's that going to mean if it's an algorithm? So is it personal liability? Is it a product liability? Is it a, uh, a, a, a corporate liability and so on, right? Mm. Just even identifying who's, who's responsible for uh, a, a, a negative or sometimes positive, positive. outcome mm. uh, of, uh, of a process. Very interesting one. All right, so, so the third um, uh, trend that we're going to talk about today is self-automation, right? It sounds scary, uh, mm. but we're not talking about, you know, turning ourselves into machines. We're talking about something that's been happening uh, for years now. Um, as far as I'm aware, one of the most prominent cases started uh, around 2010. Uh, there was a software developer that was hired by, uh, by an organization. Uh, who's, he spent eight months of his job, the first eight months, totally automating all of the activities that he was asked to do. After eight months, he basically could stop working and was just running scripts that were uh, delivering that, the outcomes that he was expected to deliver. His uh, average salary was uh, $95,000 annually uh, for six years. Uh, uh, his employer uh, found out about the, the self-automation uh, situation after six years. And what did they do? They fired him. I wish I had the technical knowledge to figure out how to automate my corporate card reconciliation. Is there a Siri shortcut for that, Merrick? Right. So, so Apple has introduced that, that new uh, application recently called Siri Shortcuts. And what it's meant to do is uh, it's giving you, an individual, a power to create something like an application. It's almost like a block language. You could connect things and you could say, if this, then that, right? And you could say, if I say, hey, Siri, say, send this and that to uh, my employer, then Siri will just follow all those steps. Whatever it produces, it will send to the employer. So you could effectively write a small piece of code. The challenge is you probably will not. Or will you? Well, I definitely won't because I've got no idea what you're talking about or how to do that. So, <laughs> I understand if this, then that, but in terms of actually physically writing code, maybe I should go learn with all the other eight-year-olds in Australia. So, th so this is the interesting part, right? All, all those eight-year-olds are starting to learn uh, a block, uh, uh, starting to, uh, to, to learn to code using block languages, right? So basically uh, languages where you just move things around and you connect them and so on. This is the same concept that Siri Shortcuts is using. So yes, indeed, eight or nine year olds in Australia are now going to be more digitally literate than most of the society and actually able to self-automate uh, the moment they enter the, uh, the workforce. So uh, yes, we should definitely teach uh, children to code because that might be very helpful for them. So self-automation to me as a deviance researcher is an example of positive deviance, right? So this particular programmer who was automating his job for six years, he saw a more efficient way of doing something uh, and then did it. So he was punished for that, but perhaps maybe he shouldn't have been. So what, what does this look like for businesses in 2019? How are they 
getting around self-automation? What, like, what should they be doing? That's right. I, I think this was a really bad idea by the business to fire the developer in 2016. They should have given him a pay rise and asked him to help automate tasks that other um, employees uh, do. Now, the whole point here is not to make anyone redundant. The whole point is to make the entire workforce more efficient. So we've been talking about business process re-engineering re for years and years in organizations. What we should start talking about right now is human process re-engineering. Individuals looking at how they uh, do things and improving them. It's a bit like a shift from ERP, enterprise resource planning, to PRP, personal resource planning. We are being given tools that help us become more efficient, that help us become more productive, and it's never been the case before. So the idea is that if you make it more efficient, then you get rid of those mundane tasks or admin tasks like my corporate card, uh, and you can unlock the ability to work on more value-add activities at work. That's right. Uh, you know, if you look into the, the past and uh, all the automa automation that has been happening for decades and decades, uh, not just digitalization, right, but automation in general, there were always concerned about individuals becoming redundant and so on. Have we actually become any less busy in the past 20, 30, 40, 50 years? Not at all. We're just doing completely different things. And this, this self-automation will basically enable us to do so. So these are the three trends that we wanted to talk about today. Rise of the chatbots, working with algorithms, and uh, self-automation. Uh, Paula, how about we talk about changing the way we live in the next recording uh, of, the, of the podcast? That sounds really good. Thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks. Thank you for joining us on the podcast today. If you enjoyed how we discussed uh, trends that changed the way we work in 2019, join us for upcoming podcasts during which we will discuss trends that change the way we live and change the way we think. That's it for this week on the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at ChairDigiconomy and visit our website at ChairDigitalEconomy.com.au. See you next time.